you've been around here for a little while, many of you have heard me tell before the story of a little guy who came in one day after playing out in the neighborhood and asked his dad that question that makes every parent kind of take a deep breath. He says, Dad, where did I come from? And he was just old enough that his dad thought he'd better give him some type of intelligent answer. And so he stuttered and stammered through his best rendition of the birds and the bees. And when he had exhausted all of his information and thoughts on the matter, he looked at his son and said, son, do you understand that? Uh, Does that answer your question? To which the little guy replied and said, well, not really, dad. He said, the reason I asked where I came from, because the new kid from the street uh, said that he was from California. And so I just wondered where I came from. And so just note to parents there, be sure you're, make, you're answering the correct question that your children ask, because it might not be exactly the question that you thought. But I, I say that because it's that question, where did I come from? And most of us here, we know how we got here in the sense of where our physical bodies came from. You know, we got 23 chromosomes from each of our parents, but we also know that there is more to us than just a physical body. We have a sense that there's more to this life than just this life, and yet it all kind of remains a mystery. And so we're in this new series. We're going to walk through the book of Colossians, and we've called it Mystery Revealed because we're going to be finding out some things about the mysteries of life. And uh, last week we looked at really the context of the letter uh, that this, uh, the Apostle Paul wrote to some new believers in the ancient city of Colossae. If you missed it, you can catch it online uh, to catch up with that background information. But Paul's intent was literally to try to help uh, these new believers navigate their faith in a culture that really wasn't that friendly to Christianity or its beliefs. And uh, when I think about our culture today, it kind of reminds me uh, of similar uh, to where we are in our culture today. Now, each week we're going to be exploring or trying to uncover a different mystery. Uh, last week we looked at the mystery of faith. We found out the, re- the way God operates us is always on the basis of faith. Today we're going to answer to seek, uh, to, seek to answer uh, really the mystery of God. And, and the mystery with God is this, really who is God? What, what is he like? What is his role in this world, and to what extent is he involved uh, in my life? And you know, I bet you could ask a hundred different people, and you'd get about a hundred different answers. Uh, Often people don't really have that clear of an understanding of who God is. Now, you know, they say you, you don't get a second chance to make a first impression. And if you can think back, what, what would have been, have been your first impression of God? Uh, because that's going to have a big uh, role in your impression of him today. And all of us have this impression of God, and we likely arrived at it uh, from really a, a lot of variety of sources. I mean, some of us, uh, we got our first impression of God when we watched the movie The Ten Commandments years ago, and we saw God portrayed in a certain way. Uh, later generations watched Bruce Almighty. That was their introduction to God. Not quite as good as Ten Commandments. Commandments, uh, but at least it kind of showed them some things. Or, or maybe we uh, were introduced to God because we heard stories growing up from our parents or our peers that has shaped really what we think about God, what we, what we consider of him. And when I think of that, what I've found is that many tr- people are really more afraid of God than they need to be. Now, to a certain extent, there does need to be a healthy fear of God, uh, but often we think of him in a fear that, that isn't very healthy. And so, um, what do you think God is like? 
How involved in, is he in this world and really in your life specifically? Uh, today, we're going to discover that the answer really to uncovering the mystery of God is actually found in getting to know Jesus better. And that makes what you believe about Jesus of utmost importance. And here's where the world often really gets into trouble when it comes to Jesus. Because people are often willing to give Jesus prominence, but not necessarily preeminence. They'll make Jesus prominent. They'll say he was a very important person who lived, but they don't want to give him preeminence. And preeminence just means that Jesus should be at the top of whatever list you're making and of greatest importance. And see, most everyone on this earth, they would believe that Jesus was a real person, that he really walked this earth, and he did some good things while he was here, that he was probably a great teacher, but that's all. Uh, and a lot of people, we can look at some other religions that actually uh, think the same way. For example, Islam. Uh, they believe in Jesus, but that he was only a prophet of Allah who was then superseded by Muhammad. Uh, we could talk about Buddhism. and Buddhism, they believe in Jesus. He's just not recognized as any kind of a deity. We can talk about Hinduism or New Age. And Jesus in Hinduism is seen as kind of a spiritual master. Uh, but instead of being uh, preeminent, uh, he is just one of many gods. And even one of our sister faiths, that of Judaism, they look at Jesus differently. Jesus is not divine. He's not the son of God. He's not the Messiah at all. And there are even groups today that would like to align themselves with the Christian faith that will give Jesus prominence, but they don't grant him preeminence. Uh, the Jehovah's Witness, for example, ever had one of them knock on your door? Uh, they believe Jesus was created just as the archangel Michael. And so he's a lesser God than Jehovah God. Uh, the Mormons, and there's plenty of those around, they believe Jesus was born in heaven as a spirit child of Elohim by one of his wives. And so Jesus, again, is just one of many gods. And even Scientology, Ron Hubbard uh, taught that Jesus was a false memory implanted into human minds. Well, our, our world may be confused as to the identity of Jesus, but the Apostle Paul had no doubt, uh, as we'll see by what he writes in this letter to the Colossians. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to Colossians chapter one. Again, it's also be up on the screen. But I just want to mention, there is probably isn't any other portion uh, of the New Testament that contains a more concentrated doctrine of Jesus than this passage of scripture. And it's intended to be able to clarify for us exactly who Jesus is. So Colossians chapter one, we're gonna start reading with verse 15 where we off, left off last week. Notice what it says. The son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. 
For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in your faith, establish and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. You may have heard it said before, and I think I've mentioned it, the most important thing about each of us is what we believe about God, because what we believe about God will impact every area of our life. And if that's true, what that means is what you believe about Jesus is extremely important because it's Jesus who reveals to us the mystery of God and really provides the clearest image of what God is like. Because if you listen to what Paul had to say there, he's making it very clear that Jesus is nothing less than God. I mean, he couldn't be more specific. He was saying Jesus is nothing less than God. In verse 15, for example, he says, the Son is the image of the invisible God. And the word image there in the Greek sounds like our word icon, which means exact representation. And what's interesting is those who were closest to Jesus actually spent time with him while he was on this earth. They themselves taught and believed that Jesus was and is nothing less than God. In fact, the Apostle John, when he starts writing his gospel that's going to detail the life of Jesus, in the very first verse, notice where he says, in the beginning was the Word, he calls Jesus the Logos, and the Word was with God, and the Word was what? God. The Word was God. Um, and what's interesting, you can go to Hebrews chapter 1, and you see it said a little differently. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Now, that's not only true what others said about Jesus. What we notice is that even Jesus himself revealed that he was equal to God. In John chapter 10, uh, he's having a discussion with some religious leaders. Uh, and in verse 30, uh, here's what he says. He makes a very important statement. He says, I am the Father, am one. We are one. And notice what happens. It says when he said that, his Jewish opponents picked up stones because they were going to start to stone him to death. And Jesus said, well, how come you're going to stone me? Because, you know, which good work that I did? And they said, it's not for any good works that you did. It's because you have blasphemed, making yourself a mere, a, a mere mortal to claim to be God. And so the logical conclusion would be uh, for us to say that if Jesus isn't truly God, he certainly couldn't be considered a great teacher. He probably was more kind of like a lunatic. If I ever start to say that I'm God, do not let me up here. Do not let me anywhere near here. But Jesus could say that because it was true about him. And as Paul seeks to describe the supremacy of Christ, he points out several significant reasons why Jesus deserves preeminence. The first First of which he says is that Jesus is actually creator. Not only is God creator, God the Father creator, but Jesus literally is creator. In verse 16 it says, for in him all things were created. 
And not just things on earth, he says, also things in heaven. And not just the things that we see, but also the things that are invisible. And so Paul's making it clear that any created thing in the universe had its origin, was created by Christ. And that's important to note because that also means angels and demons. Because in in the time that this was written, a lot of people are saying, well, Jesus was pretty special, but he was just one of God's angels. And Paul's trying to say, no, he is far superior than the angels because he actually created them. And then we go back to John chapter one, and John has it clear to say too, he says, through him, all things were made and without him, nothing was made that has been made. So let's try for a moment just to picture what that means if Jesus is creator. And to do that, I want to just take us back to the book of of Genesis, the creation story in Genesis 1-3. It says to begin with, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. That's the power of a creator. And I want to remind you, if that's true, Jesus was in that. And he's in every other piece of creation. So folks, it is no wonder that while he walked on this earth, he could command the winds and the waves and they would literally obey him because he is creator. And that's why diseases and death fled from him. It should also come as no surprise that he could do things like walking on the water as well as heal the sick and raise the dead because if he was able to create all of that from nothing to begin with, it's pretty easy for him to have complete control over any and all of it. Now, you know what? You've been required so far to listen to a lot of words about creation. And so I thought it might be helpful just to take a little break for a moment and remind ourselves, really, of the beauty of the creation that Jesus made. And we're going to start with the picture right here from Colorado. And I want you to think about that maybe in a different way and remind yourself, you know what? To Jesus. He made that. That's the Maroon Bells, uh, one of the most photographed places in all of Colorado. Let's go to the next picture. And uh, maybe you've seen beautiful sunsets like that. And and we see the beauty of that. And when we we do, when, when you're in awe of the creation, what we need to remind ourselves of, that should help us to be in awe of the creator and not worship the creation over the creator. And then we've got another picture here. uh, And I think, man, isn't that amazing? All the beauty that God created from flowers to trees to all of those different things that he's provided. And then the beauty of the creation of animals. Look at this next picture. And this is just a tiny sample of some of the amazing animals uh, that God created. And folks, we know that's just a drop in the bucket uh, of the variety and beauty of God's creations. Uh, I mean, scientists have recently estimated that there are 8.7 million species on this earth. Now, I think he created some very beautiful things, but there's also some animals that he created that I think show, you know, he just wanted to have a little fun. I mean, if there's anything that tells me, you know, God, God has a lot of beauty, but he also has a sense of humor. Look at the nose that he gave that guy up there. I mean, he says, hey, we're going we're gonna to have a little fun with this guy. But, so he's got humor, but, but just the creativity of what God's created. Now, Paul continues to prove his case for Christ's preeminence uh, by not only saying that he's creator, but Jesus is actually the head of the church. He's the head of the church. In verse 18, it says, he is the head of the body, the church. 
And this wasn't just some isolated case. Paul wrote the same thing to believers in Ephesus, reminding them that, folks, the church belongs to Christ and should be serving his purposes alone. In Ephesians chapter 1, it says, And God placed all things under Christ's feet, pointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. And I want to pause for just a moment and just remind you, it is so important for us to keep in mind that it is Jesus who is the head of the church and not any earthly leader. Because what happens is a lot of times people elevate leaders in the church. And I've seen so many people who've had their faith shaken because they were dis disappointed or disillusioned by an earthly you know, leader of the church. In fact, just recently, uh, the character of a couple of uh, more prominent Christian leaders came really under question. And these were individuals that I highly respected. And it was so disappointing to hear what I heard from them. But I was reminded that should not affect my faith at all because Jesus is the one who is the true spiritual leader of the church and he will never disappoint. Now, I want you to notice as it goes on in verse 18, it says not only is the head of, of the body of the church, notice it says he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. And in that paragraph we read, you hear that statement a couple of times, the firstborn. And I just want to point that out because a lot of false teachers who don't believe in the deity of Jesus would say, well, there's an example. He's called the firstborn. So really he is just God's child. He hasn't been around forever. And just a note there to recognize that there's a lot of different places in scripture where firstborn doesn't mean it's like the firstborn. It's actually representing a high position. It's the highest of positions. And so when, when it says Jesus is the firstborn among the dead, let me just remind you, uh, Jesus is the, is the most important of all who've been raised from the dead. And that's because uh, the resurrection of Christ was the first of its kind. Uh, he wasn't the first person to rise from the dead. Other people had been raised from the dead, but other people's resurrections were only temporary resuscitations. They came alive for a little while, but then they eventually died again. And remember, Jesus is the firstborn from among the dead because he rose from the dead never to die again. And that proves his power over death, which holds eternal significance for each of us because without his resurrection... There couldn't be any uh, eternal resurrection for us or anyone else. So not only is the head of the church, Paul goes on to say he should be supreme because he's also the source of reconciliation between us and God. In verse 22, it says, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. What we've got to remember is there, there's only one effective sin stain remover in the universe. And it's Jesus. And that's why at one point he was able to say to his disciples, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, a lot of people have heartburn with that because people say, well, hey, that kind of limits who, you know, who it's available to, and that's not true. It might be a narrow door, but anybody who wants to can actually access that. And so just a reminder as we get started again, going back to the fact that Jesus is all those things, creator, head of the church, source of reconciliation. If he is who Paul says he is, then Jesus plus nothing equals what? Everything. Now, 
I, I just want to pause and reflect for a moment. There are a lot of things that you and I theologically can disagree on that it doesn't really matter. I know people that want to talk about, you know, arguments for the end times being one way or another. And, and what we say about that, it really isn't going to affect how God does it. He'll do it how he chooses. But let me just say what, what you believe about Jesus truly matters. It's significant. And that's because what you believe about Jesus determines whether or not you can be reconciled to God. But we're talking today about the mystery of God. And so I want you to think about this, because what you believe about God may determine whether or not you want to be reconciled to him. Which brings me back around to this thing we started with, the mystery of God. If you really want to know what God is like, one of the best things you can do is simply take a closer look at Jesus. Because here's what I know, just as Jesus is nothing less than God, the reverse of that is true also. God is nothing less than Jesus. If we want to know what God is like, we look at Jesus and we look at his life. And that's important. Since Jesus is God, it also means that he gives us uh, the most true and accurate picture and concept of what God is really like. And that's helpful because people have developed, as I mentioned before, some wrong perceptions about God. And so there's some people today who would believe, first of all, that God is kind of uncaring. And especially after all, he allows these terrible things to happen in the world today, and he doesn't seem to be doing anything about them, and therefore he's uncaring. Or they would believe that God is kind of uninterested in the world. He got it started, he's letting it go, and he's not really interested in what's happening and going on in the world, let alone in my own life. And finally, because of that, he's pretty un uninvolved in the world. He isn't really jumping in and uh, has a hand in what's going on. So if that's not true about God, what would, what would be the best way for God to clear up our misconceptions about him? It would probably be for him to come and actually visit us in a way that we could understand. And so you know what he did? In order to help us understand him, he became one of us. In John, go again, the Gospel of John chapter one, here's how John describes it. He says, in the word, Jesus became flesh and made him his dwelling among us. In another one of the letters that Paul wrote while he was in prison, this time to a group of believers in the city of Philippi, here's how he describes it from Philippians chapter two. It says, Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something uh, to be taken, used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. Now talk about a humbling experience. God, the creator of the universe, limiting himself to become one of us. But he did that so we could understand him better because what Jesus really is, Jesus is, is God with skin on. He's one of us. He became like us so that we could see what God was like. That's what's so interesting because after his disciples had spent a lot of time with him, they still weren't getting the fact that Jesus was representing God to them. And so it's interesting, in John chapter 14, uh, the, the, the disciple Philip actually makes this strange statement to Jesus. He says, hey, Lord, we love what you're saying, but why don't you show us the Father and that will be enough for us. And notice how Jesus responded. He said, don't you know me, Philip? 
Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. I'm here so that you can see what the Father is like. And so how can, how can you say, show us the Father? Jesus made it clear that he was God. And so if you wonder what God is like, all you have to do is take a look at Jesus. And if you think God is uncaring, what Jesus shows us, no, that actually God's love is unconditional. He couldn't love us anymore. And in Christ and his interaction with people on this earth, we really see the heart of God. I mean, it's whether Jesus is weeping at the grave uh, of his close friend who's died or him taking time with the little children who other people said were of no consequence or hanging around the sick or, or those of the misfortunate or even actually grieving over the city of Jerusalem. In Luke chapter 19, it says, as Jesus approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over it. And he said, if you, even you had known the day, this would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. I want you to think about when you see Jesus weeping over that city, who does that represent? That's God loving those people so much. He's weeping over them. And whatever we see Jesus, what he's doing, we're witnessing the heart of God. But probably in no better way than when God sends Jesus to the cross. And in Romans 5, 8, his unconditional love is expressed so clearly there. It says, God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So what you need to recognize is that you don't have to change in order for God to love you. And there's a lot of people that struggle with that today. They think, you know what? God's not gonna love me till I get my act together, till I shape up my life or become better. You don't have to change in order for God to love you. Now, where the change comes is when you finally decide to love God back. That's when there's going to be a change in your life. You're going to say, you know what? I, if I love God, I probably need some change, some of the things about my life. But the good thing about that, that's an entirely different motivation, one that doesn't bring about any resentment because it flows out of gratitude for God. And so God is not uncaring at all. He proactively is loving toward us. Uh, also, God is not uninterested. His, actually, his attention on us is unmistakable. He knows what's going on. And let's face it, the more we learn about the immenseness of the universe, and every day they're you know, sending back these sh shots from these telescopes that they've sent out there, and they're discovering you know, billions of more galaxies, and, and the larger it gets, the, I think sometimes the harder it is to believe that God could have the bandwidth to actually pay attention to all the details of our lives. And yet, that's exactly how Jesus portrays God's awareness of what's going on. And this isn't just a good teacher saying this. Remember, this is Jesus, who's God, who's part of creation. In Luke chapter 12, I want you to notice what he says. He says, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And you know, figuring in for inflation, I don't think they would sell for much more than that today, would they? I mean, could I get a nickel no, for five sparrows? And yet notice what he says, not one of them is forgotten by God. I mean, knows when the sparrows fall. And then he makes it really personal. He says, indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Now, on some people's heads, he doesn't have to count quite as high. <laughs> but he's keeping track. And so he says, you know what? Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. 
God pays attention to every detail in your life. That's what Jesus reveals. He's not uninterested at all. And he's also not uninvolved. God's participation in our life is unfathomable. I wish we had time to go in more to it, but let me just say, God is always at work in your life. And you know what he's always trying to do? Bring about what's best for you. And the reason we know that is because in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, uh, the Bible says something that some people just cling to, other people struggle with because they know that not everything that happens is good. But notice it says, and we know that in some things, God works, no, do we know that in a few things, God, no, it says that in all things, God works for the good. It doesn't say that all things that happen to us are good, but God is at work. He's participating in lives for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. And sometimes he does things that we like and other times things that we don't understand. A friend of mine recently shared an answer to prayer about her father's cancer being in remission. But I, I really, as she expressed it, I appreciated her trust in God. Because here's what she says. She says, well, I always know that God always answers prayers. But it's just that sometimes he answers them in a way that I agree with. And sometimes he has something better in mind. And that's the challenge for us. Maybe for you today, you're looking at the situation that you're in and wondering, well, is God really participating in this? Is he helpful in this? And here's one of the things that I've learned in life is that whatever God allows, he is able to redeem. The problem is he usually redeems it after we think he's going to redeem it down the road a long time from here. We can't see tomorrow, but God already has, and he is involved. He's currently working even behind the scenes in your life. So let's wrap it up. What's your takeaway for today? The mystery of God. What does Jesus reveal to us about him? Well, it's interesting. In Hebrews chapter 1, as it gets started, verses 1 and 2, the writer there says, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. And if you've read the Old Testament, you've heard those messages. But notice he says, but in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. And so my question today would be, what, what is God trying to communicate to us through Jesus? What does he want to say about what he thinks of us and what he thinks of our lives and what he thinks of who we are? And I, I'm pretty sure the message God wants to communicate to every one of us is, I am for you. The message every one of us needs to hear above everything else today is just God saying, you know what, I am for you. I'm not a God who wants the worst to happen to you. I'm a God who wants the best to happen to you. And if you'll trust me and you'll walk with me through life, you'll see some amazing things happen. And so I want us just to wrap up our time today with us making a statement together. Um, and the statement I want us to make is, God is for me. And some of you are gonna say that today, you're going, what? I really believe that. I've seen God at work in my life. Others of you are gonna kind of like, I don't know, really. Um, but the message that Jesus gives us is that he is for us. And so I'd like for you to just, just say it all together. God is for me. Are you ready? God is for me. He loves you more than you can know. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for letting us really finally see exactly what you're like in your son, Jesus. 
Help us to trust how Jesus lived, what he said, what he did, and to see that that's really the picture of who you are. We've gotten so many different ideas in our head about that. Thank you for the clarity that Jesus brings. And I pray for hearts that are here today and they're just wondering if you really are for them, if you love them and care about them. And so I pray that you'd reach into some hearts today and help us to be able to know that you're a God who is not um, absent from this world, that doesn't care about this world, but that loves each one of us deeply and wants to be in relationship with us so much so that Jesus came to die for our sins. And I pray that we'd be able to live in a way where we trust that you ultimately hold it all. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.